Father, your word is powerful and it is stronger and sharper than a double-edged sword. It is sufficient to pierce through bone and marrow and convict, encourage, build, refresh, and humble uh, the, lowest of, the lowest of hearts and the highest of pride. And I pray that as I attempt to preach your word today to your people, that you would uh, bring your spirit and that he would do a work in their hearts that no preacher or no sermon could ever do. And you would make these truths loud and sharp and clear so that we may uh, again be built up to your likeness and continue to glorify you in the city and this world that desperately, desperately needs it. Be with your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today we are continuing in our series still to the book of Genesis. We're currently in the middle of chapter 4, right? And if you remember the story, it's right after Cain killed his younger brother, Abel. And I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but we've gone through the book of Genesis now, chapter 1 to chapter 4, and I found this series helpful in many, many ways because what the book of Genesis Uh, may not offer us, it doesn't offer us immediate solutions to our problems, but what it does offer us is that it helps us understand why these problems exist in the first place, right? Why is the world so broken today? Uh, Why do murders happen? Why did Cain kill Abel? You know, why do family dynamics break? What's behind all of these things? And and that's one of the big questions that Genesis 4 is attempting to answer. Okay, and it's so important for us to really take the time to diagnose the problem as to why the world's so broken today. Why? Because if we misdiagnose the problem, we're also going to misapply and miscalculate the solution. Okay, we got to know what the issue is. What is the problem? And so many people have so many proposals as to why the world is broken today. Okay, some say, well, it's the education system's fault. Okay, that's why the world's so messed up today. Some say it's because political structures have failed. That's the answer. Or some may say it's because family units are broken or because the church is messed up. You know, these are all the reasons of why the world's so broken today. And of course, those are all issues that we need to continue to fix. But as we say to Genesis 4, what what the Bible is going to propose here is that none of those things are actually the fundamental reason as to why the world's so broken today. Genesis 4 is going to try to convince us that there's actually something much more sinister something much more evil lurking behind failed politics, lurking behind broken families, lurking behind failed churches. And unless our solution addresses that fundamental problem, Genesis 4 here is claiming, all of our fixes will be like putting Band-Aid on a terminal disease. It's just not going to work. It's not deep enough. We got to go deeper. What's the real evil lurking behind all of the issues that we got going on today, okay? And what's the real solution? Well, let's, let's dive in our passage. This is the Word of God. Take from Genesis chapter 4, verse 9 to 16. The events after Adam and Eve fell into sin in Genesis 3, and after their firstborn son Cain uh, murdered Abel, their, their other son. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? 
The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wander on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Thus says the Lord. There's three things I want to point out about our broken world today from this passage. The real problem, the long wait, and the profound assurance. The real problem, the long wait, and the profound assurance. Okay, let's start with our first point, the real problem. What is it? So, well, what we have here is the first problem, right, so to speak. The first problem that's ever happened in the world after Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3. This is it. Cain, in Genesis 4, murdered his brother Abel. And if we can figure out the reason behind this murder, the reason behind this first problem, we'll be able to figure out the reason behind all of our problems, okay? That's, that's kind of the claim here. So let, let's start. What's the reason behind this murder? Why did it happen? Was it a broken family issue? You know, did Adam and Eve not parent Cain well enough? Was it an educational issue? Did Cain have like a really bad homeschool program? Was it a justice system issue? You know, were there unclear consequences to Cain's actions? What's the reason? Well, the first clue we get from the passage is that there are clear connections here in, between Cain's sin in Genesis chapter 4 with Adam and Eve's sin in Genesis chapter 3. What's the connections? Well, for example, both parties, after they sinned, God asked them all the same set of questions. You remember that? In Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, what, what did God ask them first? God asked them, where are you? And now, after Cain sinned in verse 9, what did God ask him first? Where is Abel? Both where is questions. And then after that, what did God ask Adam and Eve? The second question is, what have you done? What did God ask Cain here in verse 10? What have you done? And then after all the questioning's done, what did God say to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3? Cursed is the ground because of you. Look at verse 10 here. What did God tell Cain? Cursed are you from the ground. And then lastly, which direction did God banish Adam and Eve toward, uh, toward in Genesis chapter 3 after they sinned? Remember that? East of Eden. Take a look at verse 16 here, the last verse in our passage. Which direction did God banish Cain here further toward after he sinned? East of Eden. Okay? So there's our first clue. Adam and Eve's sin is somehow connected to this murder, is somehow connected to Cain's sin. But that's not the full answer. There's also differences, and this is important as well for us to get to the answer. What differences? Well, what happened to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3? Do you remember the story? Adam and Eve had to be persuaded by Satan to disobey God, right? Eat the fruit, do it, and then they did it. But Cain here had the opposite flow. Cain disobeyed God even though God persuaded him not to. 
You see the difference? Remember last Sunday? What did God say to Cain before he killed Abel? God said, don't do it. Right? Watch out, Cain. Sin's like a crouching beast. You've got to rule over it. You've got to fight it. But yet, even after this divine pep talk, what did Cain do? He still killed Abel. You see the opposite starting points here that's in the literature? Adam and Eve, Genesis 1 and 2 says, were created what? Good. And they had to be persuaded to do bad before they did something bad. But Cain here started off, apparently, bad. Because even after he was persuaded by God to do good, he still did bad. Okay? You see that? So the point here is that Cain somehow had a worse starting point than Adam and Eve did from the get-go. Adam and Eve sinned only after being persuaded to sin. Cain sinned even after being persuaded not to sin. That's the literary point here. Cain started off worse. But also, Cain's worst offness is, is kind of displayed throughout the rest of the story too. He's just worst all around. <laughs> Let's compare. Remember? Okay, after Adam and Eve sinned, remember what happened? Sure, okay, they denied it, right? But at least they kind of shared half-truths. Remember that? They said, yeah, okay, I did it. But it's not my fault. It's her fault. It's Satan's fault, you know? They denied responsibility, but at least they still shared some kind of, they still acknowledged that something bad did happen. But look at Cain here. After God asked him, Cain, where is Abel? What did he say? I don't know. It's like he wasn't even trying. I don't know. And then after this nonchalant answer, Cain had the audacity to add some sass to his answer. He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, this was a sarcastic play on words because keeper in the Hebrew means shepherd. And remember what Abel's job was? He was a, he was a shepherd. So Cain essentially here is saying to God, I don't know. Am I the shepherd's shepherd? It's like this guy, you know? And then after all that, when Cain's punishment was pronounced, you know, you're banished, you've got to roam the earth. What did he say in verse 13? He said, that's not fair. That's way too harsh. Look at it. See, Adam and Eve at least had the common courtesy to keep their mouths shut while they're receiving punishment from God. But Cain, not only did he want to sin from the get-go, not only did he sass back to God when he got caught, but then after all that, he complained that the punishment was just too much. This guy, you know, and the reader at this point should kind of want to just, you know, give him a bit of a smack in the back of a head saying, are you kidding me? Like, are you serious? After all that you've done, how dare you? But hold on. Here's the thing. Cain is all of us. That's the point of the story. We're all Adam and Eve's descendants. We all, like Cain, are predisposed to evil from the get-go. Are we? Yeah. How so? Well, if anything, didn't mom and dad give us a pep talk, right? Just like God gave Cain here a pep talk about living right. Don't lie, they said. Don't be jealous of others. Don't steal. Don't be selfish. Don't compare what you have with what other people have. But for some reason, even after all of those pep talks, just like Cain, what do we do? We lie, we steal, we act selfishly, and we envy. And then, when we're caught in our sin, what do we say? 
oh, I'm so happy that you caught me. You know, can you help me write a repentance plan right now, please? We don't say that. What do we do? We get sassy, don't we? Like, your life's perfect, Pharisee. And by the way, another interesting technique that Cain used here when he got caught, something that I think we do all the time, let's call it the exaggerated expectation. The exaggerated expectation, okay? So God, God asked Cain, where is Abel? And Cain responded, well, am I my brother's keeper? Like, you want me to watch him all the time? Am I supposed to baby him, you know? It's like, okay, calm down. I just asked you where he was. You know, and I have to confess, it's kind of like me in some weeks where I maybe overwork and skip some off days because I haven't repented for my control issues yet. And then I come home and Tati says, hey, you know, I think the kids really missed you this week. And I go, what do you want from me? You want me to babysit them all week? Like, you want me to just stay home? It's like, okay, calm down. <laughs> all I said was the kids missed you this week. It's like this exaggerated expectation. Like, that's not what she's asking, you know? It's this technique to kind of avoid blame. And I don't think I'm the only one who does this, I hope. And then after, you know, we're left with no way out, and the consequences of our mistakes are pronounced, more often than not, what do we feel? It's not fair. It's too much. Cain is us. We're all, the Bible claims, descendants of Adam. And like Cain, we're all born, already predisposed to evil, from the get-go, that's why the book of Romans says that through one man's sin, all died. First Corinthians, because one man has transgressed, everyone's broken now. Because Adam and Eve shattered God's image, all of his descendants now are born as shattered images, starting with their firstborn, Cain. That's why family units are broken. That's why politicians lie. That's why churches fail and education systems crumble because the people who run them, us, are shattered images of God. All of those things, you know, broken families, broken political systems, all of those things are first and foremost, the Bible says, a result of sin before they become the cause for further sin. They're first and foremost the result of sin. And that's why our problem is much deeper. And because of that, It'll also take much longer to fix. Which leads us to our second point, the long wait. Well, sometimes, you don't have to wait for too long, sometimes immediate consequences to sin does happen, right? Kind of like what happened to Cain here in verses 11 to 12. God said, you spilled your brother's blood to the ground, so now the ground's going to stop producing fruit for you, okay? All right, it's like, great, problem solved. There's this tit-for-tat, quid pro quo you do this, you get that, kind of, kind of feel here. And when that happens in life, that's great. Immediate consequences is dispensed. Justice is upheld, problem solved. However, most of the time, what happens in life is actually more like the next part of the story. Let's read it. What happened? Cain complains to God in verse 13, my punishment's greater than I can bear. Whoever finds me will kill me, referring to Adam and Eve's future descendants who may seek revenge. And God, surprisingly, says here, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. He's somehow untouchable now. He, he's protected. And, and we read this and we go, why? 
That's not fair. He sinned. He shouldn't be protected. He should be punished, kind of like how we feel perhaps about some situations today. A lot of bad people get away with a lot of bad things, seemingly protected from justice, and we think, that's not fair. God, why are you being so kind to these bad people? And, and there may be an element of kindness here from God's end as he, he marks Cain, but I'm convinced that, that the purpose of this mark wasn't actually kindness. I'm convinced, and I've consulted a few commentaries which would, would also agree, that this mark here given to Cain was actually a mark to ensure that he experiences the full sanction of his sentence. Don't touch him. No one can kill him, God's saying here. No one's allowed to cut his sentence short. He's got to carry out the full sanction of wandering these cursed grounds without me, God says. Why do I say that? Because not only is he uh, protected here, but the main theme is that he's cursed. Look at verse 11. God said, you are cursed. See, with Adam and Eve, God never cursed them. God cursed Satan and cursed the ground. But with, with Cain, God cursed Cain. That's a huge development. Cain has to roam this cursed earth as a cursed man, separated from God's face, verse 14 says, detached from the only source of goodness and beauty till he dies and receives the ultimate punishment. Now, next week, we'll see that Cain successfully builds this big city in this land called Nod that he went to, which means, by the way, not home or wanderer, wandering. And he'll, he'll have a good career there. He'll own a lot of land there. He'll even have a huge family there. And from an earthly point of view, we look at Cain's life, or we look at the lives of Cain's today, and we think, this isn't sentencing at all. Look at him. He has a big house. He has a good career. He does a lot of bad things. He's getting away with it. He has a good family. He's living his best life now. But even with all that success, here's the point. Even with all that success, deep inside, Cain's soul would have reminded him every day, every time he wakes up, every time he goes to sleep at night, that there's a mark on his back. There's a mark on his back that he can never erase. There's a mark on all of our backs that we can never erase. I don't care how much money you have. Your home, your marriage, your kids, your career might at times make you forget that this mark exists every now and then. But deep inside, you sense its presence. You know it's there, just like Cain did. We don't live up. God's mark here was not primarily an act of kindness. It was an assurance that Cain would carry out his full sentencing. And if we hear this and we go, man, that is so unkind of God. That is so unloving of God. If we feel that, well, I want to propose to you that perhaps that's because we've never experienced true injustice before in our lives. See, if, if you know what it's like to feel like Abel here in this story, if you know, which I'm sure some of you do, what it feels like to be helpless and defenseless against a powerful abuser that mistreats you, 
God's actions here wouldn't feel unloving to you at all. It'd actually feel very loving to you. Why? Because that's what love does. Love hears our cries for justice, which is what the cry of Abel's blood here in verse 10, in verse 10 is all about. See, whenever the phrase cry out to the Lord in the Old Testament occurs, it, it, it's usually used to describe someone who's been treated unjustly by another person. For example, when Pharaoh unjustly abused the Israelites, remember that? What did they do? They cried out to the Lord. Or you read the beginning of Psalm 22, David cries out to the Lord, God, why have you forsaken me? As his enemies unjustly mistreat him. And, and every single time someone cries out to the Lord in the Old Testament, God always, always hears them. God frees Israel. At the end of Psalm 22, God hears David and responds to David, this isn't unloving, this is true love. God heard Abel's cry for justice. And he hears yours too. He really does. Look, there are tons of sins. There are tons of injustices that you have had to endure and that you will continue to have to endure for a little while longer. And it might even look like that as we endure it, the people committing these injustices are living their best life now, escaping justice, doing whatever they want. And God here is assuring you in this passage, they did not escape justice. They did not. Justice might be delayed, but it's never forgotten and it's never denied. It might be delayed, but it's never forgotten and it's never denied. They'll pay. We're all marked. And then we ask, but for how long? How long? How long do we have to wait for the payment to happen? You know, is it even ever going to happen? Well, let's go to our last point, God's profound assurance. It will happen. That's a big point of this passage. God's assuring us from this passage that it'll happen, but he assures us in this passage that it'll happen, not by giving us a timeline. You know, it'll happen by October 15, 2046. He assures us it'll happen by pointing us to an event, to an event. What event? Well, remember just now that there's this theme of crying out to the Lord, right? Abel's blood is crying out. And throughout the Old Testament, every time God's people cries out to him, God always hears him. He always listens, and he always saves them. Abel's blood from under the ground, Israel from under Pharaoh, David from under his enemies in Psalm 22. God always responds to cries of injustice. Until one day, he didn't. until one day someone cried out to God in the Bible and God never responded. Like, really? Well, maybe the act of injustice wasn't that bad. Oh, it was the worst act of injustice ever done in human history. Okay, well, maybe then the guy who it happened to wasn't that good of a guy. Friends, it happened to the best person that ever lived this world. To who? When? Do you remember... In Matthew chapter 27, what did Jesus do on the cross right before he died? Matthew chapter 27, verse 46 says that right before he died, he cried out with a loud voice to the Lord. And interestingly enough, Jesus actually quotes Psalm 22 that we talked about earlier when David cried out to the Lord, right? Jesus on the cross 
cried out to God the same exact cry that David cried out in Psalm chapter 22. Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But unlike David, at the end of Psalm 22, Jesus never heard a response back. So he cries out again in 27 verse 50 for a second time it says, but still, no response. Heaven was as silent as an empty courtroom. So he stayed there on that unjust cross with marks on his hands, on his feet, on his back. Why? Why? The Bible says, so that he can remove the mark of Cain that's on all of our backs. God's vengeance didn't respond to Jesus on the cross because his vengeance was being poured out fully upon him on that cross. For us, will God uphold justice, we ask? Does he really care about justice? Look at the cross and you tell me. You tell me. He doesn't take the cursed mark lightly. And we all, Adam's descendants, bear it. See, we often walk around life feeling like we are Abel in the story, right? And everyone else out there is Cain. We're the one who's wronged. Everyone else out there are the ones who's wronged us. But the cross says, no. Yes, we've been wronged. But ultimately, no. We're not Abel. You know who we are? We're all Cain. We're all descendants of Adam. You know who the true Abel is? It's Jesus, who let us murder him so that he may share his blessings with us, who died so that cursed wanderers like us can escape Nod and come back home. And now his blood, Hebrews chapter 12 says, doesn't cry out for justice. His blood cries out for mercy having already paid the justice for us. It cries out, forgive them, set them free. I have paid for it all. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You know what this does? Look, this doesn't only assure us that justice will eventually be upheld. He cares about it that much. He killed his only begotten son. But what it does, it, is also, it also softens up our hearts toward others. As we wait for this justice to happen, we're all Cain's. And it's not our job to destroy other marked people. It's our job to point them to the one who's removed the mark from our backs. That's what we're tasked to do. That's the Christian's job. Will we do that? But if you're here today and you're not a, you're not a believer, you haven't accepted that Christ as Lord and Savior. You're still trying to figure this Christianity thing out. You're still trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is. Here's what I hope you hear today. Come back home. Come back home. Get out of nod. 
come back to the grounds upon which you were once cursed from. To the face of God, the world is cursed enough. You don't also have to be cursed wandering in it. Get rid of that mark. My goodness. Get rid of that mark. But not with your money. Not with your success. Not with your religious accolades. Not with your moral accomplishments. Get rid of that mark. Only through the blood of Christ. That is currently, right now, crying out for your mercy. There is no other way. Let's pray. Father, we try our best to scrub and scrub and scrub that mark off of ourselves. And when we realize we can't do it, we stop scrubbing and we start ignoring by distracting ourselves with things of this world, crying out for justice but denying the fact that if true justice did exist, we're all done for. I beg you, Father, that you would reveal upon the hearts of those who are here today this message and truth of redemption that no one could ever scrub that mark off themselves. But you have come and sent your son to bear the mark of Cain upon himself so that he may share in his blessings. May your spirit help those who are here truly have ears to hear the cry of Jesus' blood, the cries of mercy. Impress upon their hearts the urgency of this matter and let them not comfortably walk out of here without truly inspecting whether or not they've accepted and received this offer and this cry of mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.